Welcome back to Benamat's Marvelous Journey. This is a podcast looking at every entry in the Marvel Cinematic Universe against our better judgment because this is somehow episode 33. It seemed so manageable once upon a time, but we are talking about one of my faves, both in its source material and in the adaptation. It's Hawkeye. My name is Matt Waters. I am joined by Ben Phillips. Ben. How's it going? It's going all right. I'm a week away from having watched this at this point because of various <laughs> life crises that have happened, but yeah. it's still it's still in my brain. I mean, I'm five months away from watching it, so, <laughs> or four, so... You also wrote recaps to the website. I did. That does help. I can just read my own thoughts, and sometimes I'm like, hmm, calm down, bud. I guess we should just get straight into that. Uh, if you go to IntoTheRealWorld.com and go to Marvel Mondays and go to my Hawkeye season review, I gushed, and I still really, really love it. Uh, it's like a sentimental fave but i think basically the implication of what i wrote is i liked it better than loki i think that's probably a bit far but i would say the gap between the two is probably smaller for me than it is for most although it's hard to tell because you know per the metrics i think hawkeye was like the least watched of all of them last year which is grim given how bad what if is so just to uh, look behind the curtain this week moonlight ended on wednesday <laughs> and so some website put up a thing that was basically just like let's do your ranking of the marvel tv show that have aired over the last year and so they basically just like rank all of them and the amount of people who had like Hawkeye in the bottom three felt really weird to me and I don't Mm. know because it is probably the least essential of all of the shows that they've done so far I like that about it (laughs) it's what makes it so compelling like this show is kind of a mess in terms of its plotting but it gets by the fact that it's got charismatic actors having fun and doing all these kind of things it's like kind of exactly what we wanted and and the kind of the downsides to the show are that it's kind of got the ultimate version of marvel's problem last year where it's like everything is setting up about four different projects that are going to spin off from afterwards i'm fine with there being no really clear direction forwards when you make that clear from the start <laughs> like this felt like it was always destined to be a story that happens off to the side and I mean, that's, that's good and I think that's what you want that's what you should be using the Disney Plus platform for personally I, I'm seeing Doctor Strange tomorrow by the time people hear this it'll have been out for a couple of weeks and you know I I apparently am going to have to eat a hat, a shoe, whatever because I was like, ah, oh, WandaVision none of these things are going to matter that much they'll summarise them in 60 seconds if not less it'll be one line of dialogue and everything I've heard is WandaVision is actually pretty essential viewing for that movie but I think they should be using the platform for smaller stories lesser known characters characters more intimate stories you know use the long form medium to tell that kind of thing and leave the movies to do the big this is the next piece of the puzzle bullshit like there's a weird energy to what they're doing because it's like hawkeye feels perfect one division feels like you're playing with the medium and obviously it kind of devolves into marvel bullshit as we discussed but then you've got things like moon knight and miss marvel being tv shows and not movies feels that's just like a lack of belief in the character, almost. Yeah, like, like those should be tempol movies. Yeah, like hypothetical and stuff like that. And instead, as we just found out with Moon Knight, all they've just done is they put six hours out that doesn't play around with its formula as much as it really should have for a character that's kind of like set up in that way. Yeah. And let's fill for time with a really bad mummy movie. Yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's weird though to think that like so obviously, I feel like the shows we've really liked are the ones that are pulling from a comic story that's got a really strong sense of identity. And right. like Loki's kind of the the odd one out there, but like, well, I mean, we a, agreed a... that a lot of the tone seems to be coming from Journey into Mystery, if not mm. the exact plot beats, because the plot beats are like deep, deep, deep into the weeds of like Norse mythology and stuff like that. But like the general sense of style, the like the quippiness, like the the way the character is written. That seems yeah. to come from Journey, as does basically all of MCU Loki, to be honest. <laughs> yes. But then you have this, where it's kind of, this is very obviously pulling from the Matt Fraction, David Ayer, Walk I Run. One of the cape books that is consistently on, like, top whatever comic books of the however many years. Like, you know, it's on every recommended list. It's, like, even more so than anything by, like, Tom King uh, with, like, Mr. Miracle and Vision and stuff like that. But, like, this is, like, the one where everyone's like, oh, just read Hawkeye. Like, you'll just like it. It, it, It's it's silly and it's self-contained and you don't need to know anything about Marvel and there's no bullshit. There kind of is a little bit of bullshit. It's the kind of run when... So, let's get really into baseball here. Stephen Wacker is an editor at DC Comics who is kind of probably most famous for being the person who's steering the ship on 52 
which is DC's big event year where they published a book every single week written by Grant Morrison, Mark Wade, Jeff Johns, and Greg Rucker. Read them all last year. It's wild. (laughs) It's wild and it works. And it's basically all being like contained by this editor who after he finishes that and basically after DC have kind of like fobbed all of these writers off apart from Jeff Johns, who's obviously still manning the ship over at DC in spite of like numerous contro- uh, controversies that have happened over the last God knows how many years. He is a key figure in the Ray Fisher stuff. Like I know Whedon catches a lot. He and apparently deservedly so but what we hear is jeff johns also quite embroiled i, I, I think in that. it was jeff johns who was the one who was asking him to say the booyah yeah, like that yeah, was yeah, explicitly yeah. jeff johns because he is obviously a big classic teen titans fan uh-huh. but stephen wacker goes over to marvel and basically his preview at marvel is he heads up dan slots and the the kind of rotating writer's room on Spider-Man. And he basically takes that book into being a weekly book and kind of like reinvigorates it after Brand New Day, which is the big Spider-Man initiative, which kind of like has kicked off the the latest era of Spider-Man. And is kind of like picking the writers on that, which is why Mark Wade comes in and writes some Spider-Man books. And eventually he kind of accumulates enough power to basically go like, let's do some fun kind of like fun stories with marvel characters who are street level and no one else is using and he sets mark wade up on daredevil and then probably most significantly sets up matt fraction on hawkeye who matt fraction at this point most famous for being the lead writer on the x-men and the lead writer on iron man in the wake of tony stark taking over the role and is kind of like transmuting that comic book into being very much like rob Downey jr yeah like and then this book kind of comes out and i think it completely changes the way that marvel looks at its characters and has had probably the most outsized impact on all of superhero comics of the last 10 years yeah it's incredible and like you know they they keep their regular books spinning as they do they do big silly events and, and crossovers but like they have i mean i'm not saying that they invented this concept this has always existed to a degree but they have kind of at least probably been about one a year just take a character that is you know less cared about and you give them like a prestige contained sort of mini how many issues did hawkeye run like 16 hawkeye runs 22 issues okay so that's that's longer than a mini but it very much felt like one of those (laughs) there's there's a few of them he's kind of like you point to it is mark wade's devil it is fractions hawkeye it's king on vision squirrel Um, girl Squirrel Girl, Warren Ellis on Moon Knight. Mm-hmm. With, with unfortunately, but, unfortunately, yeah. but like he seems to be making atonement based on kind of like recent statements and all mm-hmm. the rest of it. So we'll we'll see on that one. And then obviously more recently, you've got Al Ewing on Immortal Hulk is probably yeah. the most recent example. Of Although like, that is like fifty issues. <laughs> that is fifty issues. It does feel like let's pair a writer with an interesting take with an artist who's going to be like the main artist on this run and yeah. kind of taking from independent comic books yeah. the image style let's try and entice these writers who if they got too popular are going to fuck off to image <laughs> or to boom to do their own independent series and let's give them an ability to yeah. make a book that they would make there yeah but... they very much feel like indie books from a big two publisher they very much are like almost like completely reimagining the character or like let's let's get back to basics almost like what worked in the past what is the the core identity of this character and that's really mean, you, you you barely ever see hawkeye or clint in in costume in this series no. he is just doing kind of like low-level spy work there are villains but most of the time they're not like name villains apart from the kind of the big cabal but they're also doing really fucking fascinating things with the actual medium of comic books so i think i think that's the most famous thing that this book is for is that obviously the first few issues you kind of get hints at it the third issue is the infamous car chase issue which basically has like little interstitial bits introducing you to all the various arrows that is very lovingly kind of paid homage to here in episode four (laughs) but then the book kind of goes well how can we make this even bigger and the two most famous ones are issue 11 is the um pizza dog solves a murder issue yes which is entirely (laughs) told from the perspective of pizza dog the color scheme is the same as what a dog's icons can actually perceive color of all the dialogue is like nonsensical i think the the dialogue is kind of nonsensical apart from words that a dog would recognize right yeah (laughs) um it's an incredible issue. I'm yeah. sad the show couldn't get that experimental. I mean, this. how do you do that in live action? You don't. And then the second most famous one of those issues is Clint suffers hearing loss because mm. he is in the comic books historically deaf. Yeah, something uh, they never childhood. went to before now. And I, I feel like there was a famous thing where like Jeremy Renner like learned that Clint is historically deaf and even said he wouldn't have taken the role if he'd known that or something like that. And I don't know if he meant I feel that should go to a deaf actor or like 
I hate deaf people. I really assume not that one, but then he apparently tried to kill his ex-wife, so who fucking knows with Jeremy Renner? That will have to be discussed. Yeah, and like you see that adapted as well. Um, like the, the deaf, the, when they play on the deafness here, it's really powerful. I like that they they had a justification for him being deaf suddenly, or he's not deaf. He has. He's hard of hearing. He's in one hard ear. of hearing. He, I think, particularly in one ear, and and yeah, they do, they do like the montage of times he was near big explosions. Basically, it's like yeah. yeah, you know what that that tracks. And like the very first thing that happens in that Hawkeye book is you see him like falling off a building or something, and then he's in hospital for like five weeks, and he's constantly like absolutely banged up, and like he's talking about how like you know Wolverine heals and Iron Man's in an invincible suit of armor and all this, and he's just some dude. And they're not quite doing that, but like showing the deafness has taken a toll on him while many Avengers are dead. But you know, Thor's fine. Thor's just off fucking <laughs> flying around the universe. Yeah, I, I do mean, appreciate, I mean, and you, like you get very specific lines of dialogue from the comic. They they swap some stuff around. They kind of transplant Clint's comic book personality onto Kate a little bit because MCU Hawkeye is not compatible <laughs> with this yeah, version. Kate, Kate's a little bit more of a straight woman in the comic book. She's like I, annoyingly perfect. Is almost her gimmick in in the, in the. She's a little bit of a goof secretly, but like she's like so good at everything and like is very much like constantly telling Clint he's an idiot. So like, yeah, and I feel I feel like that person only comes out when she gets to separate because obviously after this run Kate Bishop is the co-lead of the comic book and she kind of becomes if there's a Hawkeye book on the stands chances are it's going to star Kate Bishop yeah 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 and and like yeah she like takes over the book for like six issues like she moves out west she moves out west yeah yeah yeah. it gets a bit weird there but still MCU Hawkeye like has been this grim dark serious man intensely private you know like they play this enormous beat that like he has a secret family and all of that but like you know even when you learn that he's this devoted family man he's quiet he's professional boring quite frankly so to try and turn him into the kind of clumsy womanizing doofus just would never have fit so yeah like if this show had done the scene of i mean obviously he'd be cheating on his wife but the scene of clint (laughs) sleeping with a woman in the third issue and leaping out when people come to cut like come to shoot her up and all the rest of it and his junk is covered up by his like classic hawkeye mask (laughs) would not track in the show no it just wouldn't work like if you introduced him from scratch and like that was the thing i think for a long time people were like hawkeye fucking sucks and like it's like they should have just gone straight to the fraction ayah version and like bring him in as a little bit funnier and like that was the thing it's like why isn't hawkeye funny hawkeye's meant to be funny and kind of a weirdo it's one of those big shames though because obviously this book starts almost to promote thor and avengers it comes out in between those two things happening marvel is basically gone we know hawkeye is showing up we don't know what the interpretation of the character is can we just have a hawkeye book on the stands yeah they do that a lot don't they (laughs) yeah and what they get is this kind of weird book it's the same thing that happened with the eternals is we don't know what the Eternals movie is going to look like. Kieran Gillen, what's your take on the Eternals? And now his Eternals take is like, oh, I want to see this as a movie. I'm kind of sad this didn't exist before <laughs> the movie came out so they could pull from yeah. what's in this comic yeah. book. And this is kind of the ultimate example of this book happens because Hawkeye is going to be in the movies and there's not really a Hawkeye book or anything that you can kind of pin your hat on to Hawkeye. Yeah. And then over the course of a decade, it becomes the definitive Hawkeye story. And so the movies have to adapt this book. But they never really do until now. And and right from the logo reveal, it was very clear that this is where they wanted to go. I, I feel Renner at various points has said like he would like to see a movie that adapts that run or, or whatever. But yeah, they finally go here. The opening and closing credits are like sort of one-for-one recreations of Aya's art style on the book. It's incredible art style. You know, we still have this problem where they don't credit creators enough. Why aren't their names huge on the screen? There's a still in the end credits of every episode where it says, based on the Marvel comics. Why doesn't that say the Marvel comics by Matt Fraction and David Aya? You know, so like... I think that's the thing is that like, because there's so many contractual things, they do the special thanks and they list all the people yeah. that are like instrumental to it. But Unless you are Stanley, Steve Ditko, and and Jack Kirby, you don't get that credit. I watched but they, No Way Home last night, yeah, and that does come with a based on Marvel comics by Stanley and, and Jack. Um, but this is the problem. Like, we're we're just Ditko. furthering this false narrative. I mean, Kirby, sure, but we're furthering this false narrative that like Stanley like created every character, wrote every issue, was this brilliant writer, and it's like you know he did come up with a lot of characters and he did write several of the early issues for some of these characters, but like. It's just a ratio of 
so another thing I've been reading all of the Marvels by Douglas Walk recently which is a, a really fascinating kind of deep dive into the history and kind of the overarching kind of like narratives of Marvel and it kind of makes it very clear that if you're going to credit Stan Lee for anything you kind of have to credit him for three sets of characters it's Spider-Man it's Thor and it's Fantastic Four like those are the the Stan Lee Steve Ditko Jack Kirby babies that yeah. like really really matter but Hulk and for Iron Man and for the X-Men are all other writers babies yeah he yes Stan Lee wrote the first issues but like he never came up with the idea that made them like a pertinent thing yeah. But there is a reason why some of these early stories kind of stick around, and obviously they don't get great until Jack Kirby is kind of like flexing his creative muscle. He's an ideas man first and foremost. Sure, he's a, he... he's a producer, kind of. Yeah, and, <laughs> yeah, that, and yeah. that's why he spent so long, kind of like trying to make all these movies, and then kind of like the end of his career gets to watch the Marvel universe kind of spring up. But it's very obvious that the things that they're pulling from mostly are not his no, no. original ideas. But... All this is to say that, like, you know, we've seen this go on from, like, I remember us talking about this as far back as, I don't know, Thor 1, where these comic creatives are in the special things. A lot of them used to make little cameos, actually. You would have Ed Brubaker showing up in, in Winter Soldier. Yeah. You would have Michael Straczynski showing up in Thor. Yeah. Like... But like they're not getting invited to premieres. There's that really sad one. I can't remember who it was. Some they they like basically kicked him out. Like he showed up to the red carpet event. And they were like, "Sir, what are you doing here?" And, and like you know, they're not getting a kickback. Reese Thomas reaches out to Matt Fraction for like soundtrack suggestions because they have this. Uh, we've got so much to get into. They have these good little alternative Christmas songs. Like it's not all the biggest stuff you would you would think of. Um, and I guess Matt Fraction's a big music guy, and Reese Thomas talks, you know, reaches out to him, gets him on the payroll as a consulting producer. That's not being set up by Feige. It should be. I think every if you are pulling explicitly from a huge huge run, toss these people a producer credit, toss them a little like cash kickback, invite them to the premieres, like put their names on screen. Like, yeah, I mean, I know, I know they couldn't get away with it, Captain Marvel, because I know Kelly Sue DeConnick and and Jamie McAvoy went to the premiere of Captain Marvel because obviously they are so instrumental into the the vibe and the tone that they're pulling from. But yeah, in the case of this, like you, like I know Captain Marvel's created by other characters, and not all of these these writers and artists have got those kind of contracts that allow them to be named in all of it but like when you make Captain Marvel and you're so obviously pulling through Kelly Sue DeConnick's run when you're making Hawkeye and you're explicitly taking the logo that first appeared on this particular book and you're taking the aesthetics like you kind of do need to put the credit on Matt Fraction and David Ayer and I, I also understand that like because this comic also features like it's the first appearance of Kate Bishop do you credit the Young Avengers creative right. team for creating Kate Bishop it's got it's got Vincent D'Oprio as, as Kingpin do you credit the creative Kingpin on this because obviously yeah. it's such a huge moment do you credit Brian Michael Bendis for creating Maya Lopez and, and Echo yeah. like, I mean yeah you do see this I, I see it more in animated movies I don't know if the rules are different but like I watch all of those shitty DC animated movies and like the end credits are just full of of that shit like any character that appeared there is a created by whoever it is D you know DC superman is... is always with the permission of the shula family and all that yeah. shit and... dc is a hell of a lot better at it than marvel yeah. and marvel do put at the end of all their shows there is the special thanks block yeah but, yeah, I, yeah. but, but it's I... so it, it's small and no one's really paying attention but you and <laughs> yeah i know that's the thing. It's like, I am i'm the person i remember when i went to see Dark Phoenix, and I was <laughs> oh, in the God. cinema, and I wanted to see the special thanks block at the end, just to kind of see who they were crowding at the end of this. And the usher came to me and was just like, "There's no post credit scene." I'm like, "I know, I'm. I want to see a bit of credits." <laughs> but like, I look, I, I understand. Like, so you credit Fraction and Aya, and then like, you know, anyone else who's worked on anything that is here. Like, I, I actually don't know who the original creator of Hawkeye is off the top of my head. I don't know if they're alive, but like, you know, I could see a scenario where they get stinky. Like, hey, I it's created Hawkeye. Stanley and Don Heck. Okay. Is Don Heck alive? No. Okay. I could see a scenario where I say Don Heck is still alive and he's like, why are you credit why are you putting their names big? I created Hawkeye, this is all me, none of it exists. You know, but like when you are so explicitly taking tone and plot from one specific book, I think you need to put their names huge on the screen. Like I would put it in the the exciting part of the credits, the people the bit that people do vaguely pay attention to, the animated bit where there's a music track playing and like then you go to the mid credits scene. I would put it somewhere there, personally. Yeah, I mean, I, I fully agree. It is just that thing where I don't know if it's contractual or certain big characters, but like when you get to the end, you will see certain characters get 
this character was created by yeah, yeah, yeah. these people. But yeah, you so rarely get... Thor really should come with the J. Michael Straczynski credit, because it's like, you are pulling from the Broxton run. Yeah, like, so when like, Winter Soldier... Soldier. Like, there are so many where, where they've just taken something so, so, so specific. It's like, there's no way... This movie doesn't... Like, Love and Thunder has to come with a... Based on the books by Jason Aaron, surely. Um, yeah. But we'll see. But... This is a lot of talk around comics. Let's talk about the actual show. Created for TV by Jonathan Eagler, who comes from Mad Men, predominantly. We talked about how early on they have one director every episode. They start to change that. Was this the first one? Discounting What If, because we should just discount What If in general. But Reese Thomas and Burton and Bertie split these. They do three each. Yeah, Loki, Loki is one director. Yeah. Dark Soldier is one director. WandaVision is one director. So this is the first yeah. time they split it up. Yeah, and I'm in favour of that. Like, Even if there's like one director who's clearly better and actually i looked at my rankings and burton bertie did my three favorites <laughs> i just think it's good to have multiple voices in a room and like mix it up a bit like i've been i've been watching severance and like ben stiller does the first three and the last three and then the middle chunk of somebody else and like I'd, i would imagine that's good for the soul like get a little rest in and then come back and do more yeah, but... and and i think there's a very obvious tone thing when the directors that they get to direct this show are reese thomas he worked a lot with snl and did a lot of the shorts yeah. <laughs> over there and then obviously he does Late Night with Seth Meyers as the director of the opening sequence and then probably most significantly for him he does Documentary Now and John Mulaney and the Sack Lunch Bunch Yeah, he's coming from a very irrelevant uh, irreverent comedy background which and is I, I, what you want for this yeah absolutely Like you, you, you're not like slapping something very serious on a comedy creative or the other way around and like you know this seems it's weird because Igla gets like all the all the like created by but I feel like Reese Thomas was like the person that was marching out to do all the interviews well that's stuff. that's what has kind of come to light in the kind of last couple of years in terms of how a lot of these shows are made when they are kind of transitioning and Netflix is the kind of the big instigate behind this where they are transitioning TV into being structured more like a movie where someone writes a script in a room that has no overlap with production whatsoever they finish all six episodes and then they hand it off to a film crew and then the film crew visualize it and like Jonathan Eagler might not have even been on set at all for any of this he might have just made this and then gone somewhere else because he was busy doing Bridgerton or whatever like as well at the same time like it's it's hard to say but it kind of creates this thing where what was once a writer's medium where people are being trained to run a show and they are in charge of production logistics and the directors come in and basically just handle the on-set stuff and the creative direction in terms of that has now become its producers its directors and the writers are just hired guns yeah they work for a few months and then they fuck off yeah it's not nowhere but like the showrunner as a job is is in sort of shorter supply than it used to be and like you know it's a the writer's they finish it and like realistically most scripts are like heavily rewritten often without credit and often by like directors on set and, and stuff like that but they're just taking it like okay nice idea here's what i'm going to do with it whereas a showrunner is supposed to be involved the whole way through and that just doesn't seem to happen anymore yeah and, and you have the case that eagler is coming from Mad Men, so he's coming from matthew weiner who's kind of famously <laughs> famously like prickly person <laughs> like has a credit on basically every script that Mad Men ever did even if the other people credited as the first one he only wrote six episodes in the, the kind of 2010 2015 window but that's still like a lot of bad men in, <laughs> in the grand scheme of things so he's obviously coming from like a traditional this is how a writer's room is structured and I think definitely what he's bringing is a sense of again and we brought it up on Loki where it feels like this is structured like a TV show there's downtime there's yeah. the abilities for the characters to interact in moments that are not life and death Yes, and it goes a huge way to kind of papering over the cracks at the core of the show absolutely it's very clear to look at all the shows they've done so far again let's discount what if just forevermore the ones that are made like tv shows are good and the ones that are movies that they cut into chunks are less good and wandavision kind of t- bridges that gap a little bit where it's not quite a tv show and it's not quite a movie but like so much better than falcon and winter soldier so much better than moon knight i almost think this is more of a tv show than loki sometimes where you have like let's just have kate and yelena sit down and talk for 10 minutes let's have clint and kate get drunk and decorate a christmas tree just stuff that you don't see in movies they don't have time for it they need to tell you the plot out loud 
it's a really interesting show because it feels like by bulking it up to six hours, they kind of doubted whether or not they had enough content to fill it out. And I think yeah. that's, that's kind of like the downside to the show is that like... It feels so, like there's a missing episode. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it, it's this kind of weird tension to everything where like not everything's fully explained. Like you start episode one and people are trying to find this watch that we later on find out belong to Linda Carlini's Laura Barton, who was once an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. Wait, is she Laura? Yeah, she's Laura. Okay, but it's Bobby in... But Mockingbird is, is, is Bobby. Bobby. Right, so yeah, they've, yeah, done, yeah. they've done Mockingbird in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. <laughs> in its nebulously canon state as it it's stands It's absolutely right not canon. I don't care what anyone says. But yeah, so like they start this off, and then by the end they haven't really revealed no. why the Tracksuit Mafia are after the watch. Like, you I mean, you, go, can, like, you can loosely like guess at some stuff, but we shouldn't have to be doing that. You you, like this is the problem like i i've literally the week you hear this i will have just dropped my series review of moon knight and i will get into this but like obviously there is a problem i think with american television probably more mainstream like entertainment television of over explaining and spoon feeding and assuming your entire audience are stupid however you can go too far the other way <laughs> and just leave the audience to do your writing for you it's not as bad in hawkeye as it is in moon knight but like yeah like that watch thing it's like okay i guess mockingbird did something bad to kingpin at some point and he wants to find out who mockingbird really but it's like how does that even work <laughs> it doesn't See, i was going from the idea that like they think that the watch will help them find the ronin right and like that I, I, like they know that the watch has got some connection to the ronin and i'm like okay yeah like so much of episode one in particular like i feel two onwards it's a little bit more cohesive but one in particular it's like even if you so you get simon callow the great simon callow <laughs> to play armando kane the i don't know fifth of third third of seven and he's murdered and we've seen him arguing with eleanor vera famiga who's one of my favorite actresses and i kind of am bummed she didn't get it's not she doesn't get anything to do here but that she didn't get even more to do here but like why is there not like a flashback to the night of that murder why is there not like an intense argument between them why did he even need to be murdered like all of that feels and like you then don't get any resolution between jack and eleanor he knows that she did it and he's like i would like to have a word with you darling and then like they don't even interact after that i don't think tony dalton playing kind of like the the obvious kind of the overly obvious villain of the series and then it turns out he's just kind of adult and he, <laughs> he's good with the sword and he's just having like the time of his life fun, yeah he's just a little bit of a, of a of a cringe stepdad but like he's like grinning and like going mahaha almost but it's that's like oh no he's just a himbo like he's sitting there with the with the candy and it's like he just wants the candy he doesn't know that it's like a red herring especially weird coming from watching Tony Dalton in this to then watching like the latest episodes of Better Call Saul and you're like oh this man's got like range like he is he is effortlessly charismatic like yeah. someone who I did not know anything about a couple of years ago and no. now is someone who I'm like really fucking excited to see he, things he's very briefly in Sense8 um, and I wish he was in it more but yeah he's great like at the beginning I was like okay what are we doing here but like I'm like you know what this guy fun i i don't think he's coming back but what if he did it, it's just the ultimate example of like it feels like they've overegged this just a little bit and i don't know what characters you kind of get rid of i like, i was gonna say the opposite i think like you know again i don't want to have to keep talking about moon note but like that cast is too small or they're not doing enough with who they have and a lot of their projects don't have enough supporting characters it's all just heroes and villains i think this has a decently sized supporting cast and like almost everyone is good and you know you do get some frustrating lack of resolution with the likes of a jack maya and and, and kazi's stuff is messy as well like clearly all of kazi's dialogue in the final episode is ADR'd. Yeah, there's something missing there where, like, Maya goes from, like, she's suspicious of all of this to, like, she's attacking Kazi, but it doesn't seem like she knows Kazi is the one that betrayed her father because she's still like, we could go away together. And, like, we still don't know, were they lovers? Are they sort of a quasi-brother-sister thing? Are they besties? So there's a lot of messiness there as well. I, I think that's my main issue, though, is that, like, maybe the cast is kind of perfectly sized, but because they have to leave so many plot hooks dangling at the end, it kind of distracts you at the very end. Because it's like, we knew that an Echo show was coming, even as production was going on on 
Hawkeye. Yes, like, they, they were announced thin- it when they did their big "We're making 20... Oh, maybe even before they did that giant one where they were like, "Here's the next twenty things that are coming." They definitely announced Echo like really early, and I was like, "Oh, guys, I don't know. Like, you haven't cast a big name. Echo isn't a big character. Hawkeye hasn't even come out yet. Maybe it's like Peacemaker got." I think, greenlit before, possibly before Suicide Squad was even out. Yeah, I feel like at DC Fandom, they were like, here's a trailer for Suicide Squad, also we're making a Peacemaker show. Or Peacemaker like felt that. like something that Gunn set up when he was like, I want to do this, I've yeah. got some time off, I'm not going back to Guardians. And then <laughs> the pandemic happened, he got put back on Guardians, and he was like, well, I still want to make the fucking Peacemaker yeah. show, let me go make the fucking Peacemaker well, show. Well, I, I, I just think- feel like, you know, I, I get that sometimes when you're on set, you know you've got something special, it's like, we need to do more with this, so like, maybe they were making Hawkeye, and they're like, oh, this is good, this is special, we can do something with this. I don't think that's quite true after seeing it. And also, just to give a shout-out to Peacemaker again, best superhero TV show. Kicks the ass of all of the Marvel ones, unfortunately. Very, very good show. But yeah, there's so much messiness, and like it could have really benefited from one extra episode. But like, I like that you have the Tracksuit Mafia, and you, you, you have Kazi and Maya, you have the LARPers, you know, all these people... Uh, hanging out. <laughs> I still think at the heart of the show, there's so much strength there. Like, oh. the the Kate Clint stuff is excellent. You know, we knew Yelena was going to cameo coming in. Rumours broke as it was starting Kingpins in episode 5 or, or, or 4 or whatever people said. And it did end up sort of vaguely lining up with when No Way Home comes out, which we'll talk about next week, and, and Daredevil is returning and everything. And Kingpin almost becomes like a Mephisto situation where it's like, here's a large man's hand holding this, this child's face and his mysterious talk about an uncle and a him and all of that. And it's like... If this isn't Fisk, this is going to be a bummer. <laughs> I mean, right down to, like, it's episode three that opens with the flashback. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you have the hand touching yes. Liar's face, and then very obviously Vincent D'Onofrio's laugh. <laughs> yes. And it's kind of like, ooh, okay, like, we're doing this, are we? wonder how much we're going to get. But no, I do, I do agree. I think this show stands in contrast to Falcon and the Winter Soldier in, like, a really fascinating way, in terms of, like, when we were doing the episode, we were very much discussing the charisma and the chemistry. Mm-hmm of the lead actors and I don't think any of the actors in that show had the chemistry or the charisma to kind of like push that across the level this show is dripping yeah. in chemistry and charisma and it papers so many cracks yes in terms absolutely of like it's just it's got a fun bouncy sense of energy throughout I'm always going to give you bonus points if you set something at Christmas I actually wouldn't describe myself as a very Christmassy guy but like I don't know I like when movies and TV shows are set at Christmas little things like Rogers the Musical which seems like it was designed in a lab to make Mike Thomas cringe but um you know it's just there's that and it it just has this nice energy to it and there's thoughtfulness and it's a complete world and there's like a ticking clock of like Clint has to get home for Christmas (laughs) um and stuff like that and yeah they've cast all these little roles really well the LARPing crew are well done and and tracksuit mafia like they are just sort of you need generic mobsters to beat up but they do make sure, like, there are three, two or three of them that have a character. And, like, the Imagine Dragon stuff is a bit cringe. But in general, you've got some faces to put on them. They're not just, like, here's 20 dudes. And I think Kazi, you know, Fraffy is, is a very attractive man. I was completely wrong about Alakwa Cox. Like, I, I was like, this person cannot carry a TV show. This person is not an, an impressive actor. And, like, I, I still am like, she's going to need a supporting cast. But, like, I thought she was really good. To see like sign language and how much she does with nonverbal communication and everything was great. Is it Zan yeah. McLaren as, as her father? Yeah, um, who's yeah. who's a great kind of like character actor who's been popping up for years yeah, now in kind yeah, of like yeah. sporting roles in Fargo and Westworld. Would and, love yeah. to see them find a way to like do lots of flashbacks in Echo to like bring him back because that was really good and the child actor had really good chemistry with him and stuff. So I just think, you know, you you filled this this cast with people I'm like happy to see and right at the core of it. I mean, <laughs> less so than Florence Pugh, but for me, Hayley Steinfeld is Bay. I'm a big fan of her work, like genuinely. I'm not just saying she's hot. Like I think she's excellent in Bumblebee and, and so many other things. And I think, again, less so than Florence Pugh, but it's a really good get. She's young, she's recognisable, but she's not like such a big star that they're in risk of her like trotting off and abandoning them. 
but it's like a good get and like she's young and you know they compare these two for years to come and I think that will be a successful relationship yeah Florence Pugh and Hayley have like terrific chemistry she mm-hmm. works really well with Jeremy Renner like yes. she probably brings Jeremy Renner's best performance in this role I defend him in Age of Ultron as the comedic foil yeah I think he works really well with Wanda in that movie but he's decent but like there's just so much going on that like yeah there's no time for like, that we- really. Whedon, Whedon feels like he's very much apologising to, to Renner in that movie right with and the then, with the stuff of the the farm and and by pairing him with Wanda for so much of it, yeah, and yeah. having that be a through line for like the next two three movies as well. But like Haley Steinfeld brings so much out of him, and she's someone who's like career has been fascinating because like it feels like she's been around for ages, and obviously she's been around since like 2010 when she's in True Grit and gets an Oscar nomination for that. And she's so young; she's 14, I think, at the time. And then after that, she kind of like just keeps on ticking along. Obviously, she kind of transitions more into music. She's Kind of a pop star, but not really. <laughs> Does obviously put Pitch Perfect. She's in Taylor Swift's crew. And then I think the, the big one, two, three punch that kind of like, or even one, two, three, four punch that sets her up for this is kind of like Edge of 17 in 2016, where she yeah. is fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic teen movie, probably the best teen movie apart from Booksmart of the 2010s. Yeah. Bumblebee, where she gets to show that she can do this big budget thing. This is going to sound ridiculous. Possibly one of the best green screen actors I've ever seen. Like, she is sharing a screen with nobody. And she's making that work. And, like, I, I I fully buy the relationship between her and an invisible giant robot. And that's that's not easy. I see so many people struggle with it. Yeah. And then she's obviously fantastic in Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse as Gwen Stacy. Yes. <laughs> and then finally she caps it all off by doing Dickinson, which is kind of, mm-hmm. like, one of the first big Apple TV shows where she gets to be a little bit gay in this kind of, like, very anachronistic version of yeah. Emily Dickinson's life. And then, obviously, and then at the back of that, she's kind of having to deny that she's Hawkeye. <laughs> playing Kate Bishop for a quite a while because they now like the the casting lands like years before the show goes to production partly because of she's on Dickinson and partly because of the pandemic and then when it finally happens it's just like oh thank god like they've nailed this casting completely absolutely and like that's the thing I think she does sort of smack of like floundering teen early 20s I'm kind of a pop star, I'm kind of doing rom-coms. She's got that to her, but like she does have the legitimate stuff to back, like she can do it. I think she just needs better projects, quite frankly. And she's got some good ones there, but she's also got some trash. She's, and... she, I feel like she's always been kind of like second or third in list for getting cast and things. Like I wouldn't be surprised if she was on the Hunger Games shortlist. I wouldn't oh, be surprised yeah. if she was on the Divergent shortlist. Like, <laughs> yes. like, like, like those kind <laughs> the of things. The Maze Runner like... people, all of them. <laughs> and she's lucky that like when she finally does do big budget mm-hmm. movie, she ends up picking... Bumblebee, which the is... The best Transformers movie. Yeah. yeah, it's the best Transformers movie. Obviously, it's not like a smash hit the box office, but there's nice. enough goodwill there that people are kind of coming away from it and going like, no, she's good. Like, yeah. like she hasn't picked badly. It hasn't stained her career. She hasn't had to hang around and do 17 of these fucking things at this point. <laughs> and, like, no. she hasn't ended up in a kind of... Yeah. tanking her career in the way that, that Shia LaBeouf did, or even got on the bad side of, of Michael Bay like Megan Fox did. Like, <laughs> yeah. She's wearing so many hats in this show. The first episode, like, I, I'm hired on it than you but like that's a real showcase for her like where she is having to be a kind of a clownish buffoon she's also having to be kind of slick and sophisticated like you know that she is a good dresser she is a she is from money she has this ridiculously nice apartment she looks ridiculously good in a suit she does (laughs) she really does women look better in suits let's just be real so she's doing all of that at some point the action is kicking in and she's having to be an archer and like you know she i think she's decent in all the action scenes they give her a couple of creative little fight moments which have been sorely lacking like the swing around the pole and, and that kind of stuff she spends a lot of this show being an emotional conduit for clint while also like just annoying the shit out of him but like in a slightly charming way like it's not like i, f- I know some people find miss marvel really annoying like the fangirl thing and it's not quite as intense as that but like i think she's just so good and she's so well cast and as you said she's bringing Renner's best performance out i think like they, they really work well together yeah i mean we, we, we've you mentioned it explicitly in your write-ups but like the scene when he's lost his hearing aid mm. and he's having he's got a phone call from his like youngest son and he can't hit anything he's, he's, he's having to like. pretend to keep his son reassured and yeah she's she's transcribing what he's saying and oh it's devastating 
she is really really good someone who i'm glad has found a project like this i hope that she gets to continue kind of the dual track thing but yeah. i do hope marvel bring her back sooner rather than later because again yeah. at this point in time we don't know when florence we don't know when seinfeld are showing up but like i'm going to be happy whenever the next time that is for both of them yeah um, abs- absolutely it, it, it also leads this really interesting thing where so to dip back into kind of like how comics work very briefly, it's well known that comics have a very sliding scape, uh, timeline. You have things like Magneto, when he was originally written, was a Holocaust survivor. And now we are 2021, and that is ludicrous <laughs> to imagine that someone could still be around who was... Uh, Basically 100 years old. Yes, exactly. <laughs> They've had to do so much bullshit to be like, oh, his body has been modified to de-age him. And yeah, like... and you've, you've got things like Punisher is just like, the Punisher's easy, you just move what war he fought in. Like, yeah. you don't, he doesn't need to be Vietnam anymore. But, but same with Tony. Like, Tony, I think, was originally involved in Vietnam, or roadie or you know something to do with iron man was originally vietnam adjacent i think and then obviously you update that to afghanistan as well yeah and so you end up with this thing where the comic books like to have legacy characters but when you think of it they've only really existed for 17 years if you go from the idea that like the fantastic four is the start and they still have kind of like early early teen children or like (laughs) kind of like early double digit children at this point and so the marvel marvel universe has only been around for about 15 17 years at this point we are like in the middle of the second decade of marvel proper and so what they get to start doing is people who were young children when these initial adventures were happening and having grown up with this and so the show obviously opens with kate bishop being there in 2012 during the battle for new york and basically that is why she hero worships clint like that is her entire thing is like she got to see hawkeye in action he shoots the the like rocket arrow at the at a a Chitauri like speeder that is coming towards her and basically from there she's like I want to learn karate and I want to learn archery essentially yeah, yeah, and, and, her, and, and her, her bedroom is like covered in medals and certificates you know hinting at that like she's annoyingly perfect stuff yeah and it's the same thing that Miss Marvel is going to be doing where it's like Captain Marvel has obviously been around since the 90s so and obviously comes in and wrecks shit, uh, wrecks shit against Thanos yeah so but like no one on earth knows she's well a few people saw her in the 90s but ostensibly she fucked off for like 30 years so but, like, I have to imagine because I, I have to imagine like the way that people talk about the battle of thanos it feels yeah, like the yeah. entire thing was fucking recorded by someone yeah, and everyone's yeah, yeah. got their favorite of so whoever did something in the final fight <laughs> when falcon murdered somebody with his wings that guy's captain america now <laughs> uh yeah no for sure and like i think they have a real fertile ground to do a kind of next generation of avengers kind of thing and like you obviously have the most explicit thing of like young avengers but i kind of want to see them do something like our new captain america is sam wilson We'll get She-Hulk this year. You know, we've got a new Black Widow. We've got a new Hawkeye. We're potentially going to have a new Black Panther. And Black Panther was never really an Avenger, unfortunately. But they have a chance to kind of do... Here are a couple of legacy carryovers. Maybe Thor and, and Clint stay on. But then here is, like, the next generation. And I would really love to see... I think they should do a Black Widow and Hawkeye movie, personally, or a Hawkeye and Black Widow movie, whatever you want to call it, but with these two. And then you can do, I think we talked about it in Black Widow, you could do flashbacks with Scarlett Johansson and, and, and uh, Jeremy Renner and like do more of their bonding and like compare it to a moment the current two are going through and all of that. But So Florence Pugh comes in for, uh, does she show up at the end of episode four and then she's in episode she's, She shows up at the end of four, the big kind of... She's like the masked was... person that's yeah. fighting them, yeah, yeah. And then five is like her big showcase with with Kate and the big fight, and then obviously yeah. six is just the finale where she shows up when she can and obviously gets to. No, no, no! Like the fight is um is six. It's just a conversation in five, isn't it? No, no. I mean, but the, the the fight at the start of the episode is the fight where they're on the episode five starts with her in. Oh, they her... finish their fight. Yeah. yeah, they finish their fight, but she's also doing the thing where she unbrainwashes the Black Widows, oh, and we get of to course, get yeah. to see the, uh, <laughs> the the blip from her perspective. Yeah, that was cool. I, I like the different ways they've done that where like you know she heads into a bathroom and blips out of existence and comes back and the room has been repainted and stuff like that um but yeah like you know they have this 10 minute dinner conversation she's just so good isn't she like she so gets this character and like just dripping in this sort of like it's like faux enthusiasm broken english sort of quietly mocking america but also like i genuinely do want to do tourist shit and like you know i mean the, the thing where she's like i don't have any weapon and then she looks down at her hand and sees that she's holding the fork and is like okay i have one left and then i think her rings as well yeah like yeah and she's just never she's never not threatening her and isn't isn't the hot sauce as well like an ad lib like she found out that <laughs> Haley stanfield didn't like hot sauce and so 
like in the middle of the scene she's just like dumping it on the mac and cheese yeah, yeah, yeah. so like Hedy Summers yeah. having to like react to that but like, like again immediate chemistry yeah. and again the show has got time for the centerpiece of episode 5 yeah. when there's so much other bullshit going on like we should be invested into what's happening with Eleanor Bishop mm-hmm. we should be invested into what's happening with Kazi yeah. and Echo and ultimately you just kind of like Give me more, you lame. <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, like that's all I want. All I want is these two. And they're like, like somehow you have managed to fix what was like an utterly bizarre post-credits <laughs> scene at the end of Black Widow into being like the most interesting and like emotionally resonant plotline in the back yeah, half of this uh, season. I mean, it's still a little bit bullshit. Like you know, she's been hired to kill Clint because Clint is poking around at Eleanor's business and either Eleanor knows Val or Kingpin knows Val or, or something but but the thing is are you not like in the finale yeah. when you're watching it like this is like Vincent D'Ofrio's first big appearance as, as Kingpin in, in mm-hmm. four years at this point or, or three years at the time and he is like you're kind of not interested in the in the conclusion to that. You're kind of more interested, like when is Yelena going to have her face off with with Clint? <laughs> yeah, and like they revisit the whistle, like he do, he mimics the whistle that they do to each other, and it convinces her not to kill him. And then they have this that final episode, like like every Marvel finale, you know, it's, it's just a little bit too much contractual action going on. They try and find some pockets, like them making trick arrows together, and her telling him why she means so uh, he means so much to her. And stuff it's like that. it's and, small and intimate enough for it. Yeah. To pass off it's just yeah. there's a some bullshit where it's like yeah. let's have kingpin survive oh on like a god arrow look all right we've got to get into that then i'll just tie this up but like you know i i, I think she is a good enough actress and i think renner is, is good enough in the show that like they just about make that moment work where they're like we both love this person and i believe him now and like we're not going to be friends yet but maybe we'll get there and uh yeah that works but yeah let's talk let's talk kingpin because should we talk should we talk villains okay sure so <laughs> villain watch is kind of designed to say is the villain good or bad or not and like i feel the show overall handles villains as a concept really well it's just there isn't that one singular lightning bolt character to be like this is killmonger this is thanos this is loki that's, that's the thing is because they kind of have this thing where the two main villains who are kind of like progressing the plot are anti-heroes who you're kind of rooting for at the same time like you kind of want maya to find out that kazi betrayed her father yeah and to get her own back on kingpin and you want yelena to find out that clint didn't kill and even like their red herring jack like mm. you know he's charming even when he's being like openly vi- openly villainous you do resent the like overbearing stepfather stuff but you know he is a he's just a fundamentally charming silly man and then like the tracksuit mafia are like silly almost and yeah like there's conflict coming from places that aren't really the villains and then like who do you say the final villains are like kazi kingpin and the tracksuits in general like yeah i mean that's it because obviously the tracksuits are the ones who are getting like bombed by all the trick errors which is like a fun <laughs> sequence like it, it's got vibes of iron man 3 where yeah. they're like obviously that is complete like tonally mismatch from the rest of the thing but it's just mm-hmm. like let's have a fun special effects showcase where like the entire point is like let's mess around with this concept that we've been toying with for years at this point where like clint's got all these arrows tony's got all these suits let's just have some fun and i kind of dig it even if there isn't much under the surface other than they're gonna win ultimately (laughs) and again the emotional juice comes from the standoff with elena and clint and kind of suffer by yes kate has to have an emotional reaction to her mother but her mother's not a fighter and because it's a marvel project what happens is she has to fight Wilson Fisk and <laughs> it's kind of like D'Onofrio is always good Echo it sounds like is a stealth Daredevil season 4 I was gonna say like you know we also always talk the future and like is it essentially a quasi season 4 is it essentially a bridge between we're going to use Echo to subtly retool what we're saying is and isn't canon from Daredevil and then we'll give you a season 4 or this is the MCU's Daredevil season 1 or whatever yeah, we, like, we don't we, know we, like, we find out that Matt blipped for 5 years and so yeah let's do a daredevil show where he's picking up his life after after the blip or whatever Mm -hmm. kingpin is like d'onofrio is always good and you kind of declaw him a little bit in this because he shows up in the final episode and you kind of deal with him in really over the top ways where he Mm. is like blown up and then shot apparently (laughs) hit by a truck hit by a truck yeah like he withstands a lot and he kind of goes from being just a guy i mean he was he was a big fucking dude he was strong i can just about buy him like ripping the door off the car like sure why not 
I can buy him being, you know, punched a lot, but like an explosion under his feet and being hit by a car and standing back up is a bit extreme. <laughs> but that's yeah. that's the Marvel factor. Yeah, they, they they over they over indulge a little bit in terms of this character to kind of like show how strong he is. And also, they've got him in that iconic Spider-Man. Co- is it a Spider-Man cover? It's, it's, it's a Spider-Man graphic novel cover right. where he's like on ho- holiday in Hawaii, and like Spider-Man has found out that he's got like a a secret sister. I think is the plot of that one. Right, right, it's, right, right. It's a deep cut. <laughs> it looks a little bit silly in live action, especially when he was wearing the hat. It gave me intense vibes of, you know that Blastoise like, image where he's wearing the Hawaiian shirt? It just gave me that vibe. But I will say, when he's just having the conversation at the beginning of that episode, he slips right back into that character like a glove. Like In that one three-minute scene, five-minute scene, he is better than 90% of Marvel villains. I'm not willing to say he should be in the upper echelon yet. Obviously, if we claimed daredevil was all canon he's in my opinion number one yeah if we if we were <laughs> insane enough to basically go back and like anything any project where an actor has shown up in a canonical mcu project at this point like Kevin mm. productions on it and we basically have to go back and do well we have to watch both seasons of agent carter we, well, have, to watch, <laughs> we have to watch all three seasons of daredevil that may come up a bit next week but <laughs> we'll treat it in a bubble that one scene is probably better acted than most of the villains act. Like, you know, he's still doing his, like, eye twitches and, like, just his manner of speech, where it's sort of this faux niceness, but, like, it is never not clear this man will murder you if you say the wrong thing. <laughs> but, you know, it does, un- unfortunately, devolve into a bit of a, like, ridiculous brawl. And then he gets shot off camera, but, you know, very clearly this is a recreation of the blinding scene. It would be intensely hilarious if they brought him back for one episode just as a thank you and then killed Wilson Fisk. Yeah, I mean, obviously we've seen the the costume credits for Echo, apparently, and someone has said that they are doing costume designs for Wilson Fisk and for right, Murdoch, okay, so okay. we'll see. And it feels like it's a really interesting thing they're trying to do, because obviously we brought up that they make Clint hard of hearing in one ear in this, yep. obviously... Maya is both an amputee and yes. uh, is deaf from birth. They never mention that she's got the one leg, but it is... It, you well, like when she's fighting... Aesthetic. Yeah, when she's fighting Clint at one point, I think he hits her quite hard on the leg and it does nothing and makes a metal sound. But yeah, for the most part, they're obviously playing up the gimmick of the deafness. Yeah. And it feels like it's, what they're trying to do is they're basically trying to set up this... Kingpin being shot by Echo is, is a pull from the comics where Echo does the exact same thing and basically blinds Kingpin in one eye. And it feels like that's what they're angling for, is that the whatever echo turns out to be it's going to very much focus on people with disabilities and it's going to mm-hmm. be matt as a blind person with superpowers echo as a deaf person with with amputations and then king yeah, is like blind in one eye kind of like coming yeah. to to fight these two essentially and or, then you, you can kind of there's so much to pull from with like you know matt has always been blind and now like fisk shares that and like it's this sort of how does it feel and like the the weird quasi empathy and stuff Echo has powers in the comics, right? Kinda. I thought she's like a mimic or something. A sort of mini taskmaster. Right, I'm gonna read this to you now. Okay. <laughs> Abilities. Olympic level athlete. Concert level pianist. Strong martial artist. Highly skilled acrobat. Gifted ballerina. Photographic reflexes. That one feels like an actual fucking power to have photographic I, I feel at one point they were they were playing with she's kind of like taskmaster where she can like... But they're then, probably going for like the whole... Without one sense, the others are sharper, therefore she's a much keener fighter or whatever. But Yeah, and then the fun one, as Phoenix, telepathy, flight, superhuman strength, and cosmic fire generation. Yes, she's the current Phoenix, everybody. <laughs> a move that took me by surprise in Jason Aaron's Avengers. I like what they do with her as well. Like they, they build to her and she's like standing in the room, like feeling the bass, and then you go to that like, really cool ending credits song. And they do the flashback. And like I like what they do with her deafness where like, you know, she kind of judges Clint for using him. I did make the mistake. So obviously, I've seen this show before. I'm not like watching these or rewatching these with like intense focus. And then I completely forgot that this show was like maybe 40% subtitled, 30% subtitled. And I was like, <laughs> oh, sh- I, do, I do actually need to focus because I'm going to miss yeah. all the dialogues from essentially your third lead if I don't yeah, actually yeah. watch the fucking show like face yeah. on. And then like you know they have like silent alarms in her apartment and stuff like that. But I really like that in I think it's in episode five when she's meeting. Clint and they've set him up and he just fucks up all of the tracksuits and she's oblivious to it like I'm not saying that's funny but it's I don't know it's a cute little thing where he's like exploiting that she can't 
here and what's going on around her and stuff. But he's also taking them out quick enough that the other tracksuits aren't really figuring it out. Either. Sure, sure. Like, so it's not like a haha, you're deaf kind of thing. But it, you know, it is. And she does pick up on it pretty quickly, if I recall from how that scene is structured, because yeah, like, she, she starts to realise that like they're not here. Like the people who are supposed to be backing her up aren't here. And yeah, so they've got that lingering like cringe Ronin thing where it's like, oh, Hawkeye's not even in, in Infinity War. Now he's a murder man with a bad haircut who <laughs> <laughs> only kills minorities <laughs> in Endgame. And they even that they do their best to try and like fix where like he is ashamed of being the Ronin. People are trying to get the Ronin, all of this stuff. And and yeah, like I guess we should come back on him. Like a complete rehabilitation of this character. Like I was so before this came in, I was like, right, this is Renner's send off. You're probably gonna get the most Renner you ever have to have, but then after that you'll never have to see Renner again. He will hand the mantle over to Kate and we'll never see him again. Maybe a cameo here and there. By the end of it, I'm like, you know what? I would be fine with seeing this Hawkeye. <laughs> you know um, what, Rock, and obviously this is to bring up the other project that you've been doing for the last year. <laughs> I kind of want to see him in a Batman Beyond type situation <laughs> where he is he is coaching Kate from right. the sidelines. Like, he is her man in the chair, essentially. Like, yes. he doesn't want to unretire himself. He wants to settle down with his family. He's already lost them for five fucking years. He's lost a big chunk of his life to all of this. And then you get the obligatory scene where he has to pick up the bow and help. I would like to see him running a secret Avengers, a, like you know, like which is like a stealth team. He is coaching uh, Kate and Yelena and, and the others, or even like as a sort of quasi-retired Avenger who is sort of the quarterback I mean, from the think, chair. Like I think the main issue is that, that that has been the beat he's been playing since Civil War. Yeah, but you could do it good now. Yeah, I know, but it's just that, like, every single time he appeared, like, Civil War, he's like, oh, I'm here as a favour for, for Steve. Like, I'm here to get Wanda, but mm. it's it's not because I No, but I'm want... saying, like, let's let's make him... He's he's office stuff. He's part of the team, but he doesn't go out in the field. Kind no, of I, I, I understand. It's just interesting that, like, we've been having this kind of, like, retiree beat for, like, six years of time, and now it's like, right, let's actually mm. progress into this being, like, he is now a desk person rather than, like, he's yeah. fully retired and stuff like that. Yeah, like, yeah. Give me that and like him struggling to adjust to normality and like itching to get physical, but then also like you know I'd look at what it's cost me and, and all of that. Like I'd, I'd be down for that as him as like a Maria Hill almost. Like he is Agent Barton again. He's not like and and the thing yeah. is it does it does play well in that he is kind of this secret villain at the heart of this. Is that like every single thing that's going wrong is because of how dark he went. Yes. <laughs> in in between Infinity War and Endgame. Like, it, yeah. it is really interesting where it's like, everything is the sins of the father in this, essentially. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. nothing that happens in the plot of this is Kate's fault. Nope. Or Maya's fault, or your Yelena's fault. It's all... Yeah. Like, the only one that is actually, like, Yelena is lied to about what happened to Natasha. But, like, that is the only person who has no, quote-unquote, legitimate beef yeah. with what Clint has done. But, yeah, like, they, the character just so much humanized completely like with the bond with kate like it's this nice organic partnership where it goes from you are not ready for this to are you ready he's treating her like a partner he's wearing the costume she made him or she had made for him by the laughing people his bond with his kids particularly the young one that is just like at that age where he's just insane and he just finds him just everything he says he just finds it so funny all of that works so well jeremy renner still obviously not the greatest human being but like, we are all moving to his social media app, though, now. That of course. Musk owns Twitter. <laughs> the Jeremy Renner app. So at one point we had him on the All Marvel list. If we still did, I would say we replace him with this. But, but he was a bonus pick from me, so he's he not was a on bonus the list. pick that you took away. I think Steinfeld goes on for this over him. But yeah, is... if, we, if, we're, if we're transitioning into All Marvel, yeah, like, yeah. Jeremy Renner is probably second. It's his best work in the MCU, for me, by far. But, like, Steinfeld is just... She's wearing more hats. It's a bigger, like announcement of a, of an arrival kind of thing and you know maybe they take forward this characterization of clint because like they are subtly changing his personality and like that he is like softening through kate and stuff like that and like maybe he does make more appearances in future movies maybe he's like the old man on the avengers team and they're all fucking kids around him and stuff and maybe he gets on in a future thing but just not quite for me again d'onofrio gets one scene he's very good if you give him a full season i have no doubt he's gonna get on for like echo or, or whatever yeah and like i don't think pew is better here than she is in in black widow but no. i think it's, it's she's still very good it's definitely in conversation it definitely just kind of like made her performance in black widow 
mm-hmm. even better because she was getting to do what is more of a straightforwardly comedic performance in this. And I think, again, mm-hmm. it's to the benefit of the show is that yeah. it is more and more a straight-up comedy with some yeah. moments of those, darkness. Yeah, those two running through the office building, sort of flirting and fighting is incredible. Like, Kate pushing all the buttons on the elevator. And like She slaps her hand away the first time and then she does it. She's like, that's so annoying. <laughs> like That's a really cool like throw you just did. Good job. Also, here's a punch. Yeah, that's the thing. is like, those two are like, we're not going to replace Pew on the list. We're not going to give no. D'Onofrio it now. We're not going to give Renner it now unless he gets to come back and do something again. But like those four are definitely like yeah. performances that we could reevaluate if they continue in this kind of vein in the future. Yeah. Especially. And then it's like Alakwa Cox. There is something there. There's something there. Something there. It's just whether or not she can like level up into being the lead of a TV show or yeah. whether or not she's going to be completely consumed by the fact that she's doing a show potentially up against D'Onofrio is, I guess, the issue. Like, And if it is a quasi-season four of Daredevil, she's going to get no attention whatsoever. But like, that's what I mean. I went from, like, there is no way she can be the lead in a show. This is going to be a disaster to, like, if you give her the right circumstances, I think she could be excellent if she gets all of the focus because I think she is good when she's given enough to do here. The thing I'm kind of worried about is they've resolved her story. She a got bit. her payback on Kingpin. She killed Kazi. And yeah. it's like, what is there left? Or well, did she kill Kazi? That's my question. Is Kazi alive? I, I genuinely don't know. At the I end mean, because she, she stamps him at the end. She does. But people can be stabbed. Okay. I mean, we're also saying that Kingpin could be shot in the head and survive. So I guess that is the... <laughs> exactly. He got he got a better end of it than Kingpin did. But he wasn't. His body wasn't on screen. Like she stabs him and like is kind of like holding him in that kind of like mm. the way that I, movies do to show I, him, like you were my brother once. Yes. Yes. I personally like to see Kazi come back. Also, Kazi dramatically different than he's a clown in the comics, right? God, he was so fucking good. He's the person who does the murder that Pizza Dog has to investigate. Yeah. 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 Uh, He's great. His issues are drawn by Francesco Francavelia, who is a very different artist to to David Ayer, but like yes. it, it fantastic backstory issues. He kind of playing up the fact that he is a clown and Clint is a acrobat similar to yes. Robin and kind of like comparing the two of those in terms and it, of like, it, it's not the like a joker clown. He's I, I don't know how to describe he's like, him. He's like a, a mime. Yeah, almost a mime, yeah. But it's a very different calculation. But yeah, like Fruffy, I thought he was good, but you know, it's a very small role and it has to be because of the size of the cast. I would like to see him come back because like I just think they had a good bond as well and I'd like to explore that relationship a bit more in an Echo show. But yeah, we'll see what happens with that. I think we do need to touch on Vera Farmiga. Just yes. a little bit and go like because okay. like she is sort of the villain of the show and, uh... but doesn't really do much. They kind of mystery box it just a bit too long. Yeah, yeah. She's done the kind of villainous mother before because obviously she played Norma in Bates Mattel, where she's apparently like absolutely fantastic. Yeah. She feels one character too many to kind of like dump something on. Again, Especially it feels when... like something changed late. Like I don't know if she originally died or there's a different version of the confrontation with Kate or like Fisk got to her I, I don't know it feels something happened there if you rewatch that and if you like really pay attention to like when she's taken away on the confrontation there it feels like hastily edited or something but yeah it's it's a weird one though because it definitely feels like she basically becomes like sh- we find out she's the villain through mm. the investigations that kate is doing into, all of that into, is into really uncle. sloppily done as well every time kate pulls up that fucking app to track where so i get that it's writing shorthand of like how can she get to where clint is but like she like perfectly knows how to spell kazi's full name which is ridiculous it's all a little bit and how does it link together and as i said earlier like you know, how do you not have that flashback and explain why she murdered Armand and like why did she murder Armand and 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 why isn't there like that? Why do we hear them arguing down the corridor? I want to see those two actors act together because they're yeah. both good at their jobs. Yeah, it's just again, it feels like she's she serves the villain by episode five. You're kind of yeah. like okay, and then they kind of immediately underplay it by going and also Kingpin's here. And it's like oh yeah, okay, and like she well. she's just one of Kingpin's many pawns and she's good in the or scene she's talking to talk, talking to kingpin like she yes. is the kind of the the only actor who gets an actual like sit down conversation with Vincent apart from alacqua again just wish there was that one more episode to explain and you are kind of swapping it her her father is villainous in the in the comics right yes i believe so maybe we get the the young avengers adaptation and she and vera Mikas play mother <laughs> Maybe. That's All a, right, a, well, a pull for people if you want to read uh, the <laughs> Kieran Gill and Jamie McAvee Young Avengers run with Kate being the only quote-unquote straight Avenger um, is, <laughs> sure, is sure. fantastic. Why not? If you are the one person that hasn't 
please read some of Fraction and I as Hawkeye. Please read Kieran Gillen's Run of Young Avengers. Like, you know, these are great books. It's a nice, to me, it's just a nice, successful little thing. It could ostensibly be the end of it. There, there may not be a Hawkeye season two, but we've got enough elements to carry forward. And it was just, you know, it's nice. It was set in a defined period of time. It achieved a goal that it stated at the beginning yeah and i'm enthusiastic about i think think this is this is my like second favorite tv projects they've done so far i think like it doesn't have the issues that wandavision has where kind of like it it bottles it at the end and everything i'm hearing is that maybe dr strange fixes some of my complaints with how wandavision ended and i'm kind Mm -hmm. of interested in looking forward to seeing that this evening yeah you're seeing it today i'm seeing it tomorrow yeah see how we go with that like i think hawkeye just just on the matter of like it shows how much casting and just letting actors be good together matters to some of these projects and i just i i really hope that i assume this was well reviewed even if maybe it wasn't as well watched but like i really hope they learn some things from this and do just make some time for quieter moments and sillier low stakes stories and let's not make anything like moon knight ever again please i mean we're <laughs> um, we're hopeful because obviously miss marvel is is kind of the the show after this i believe and then we'll obviously get she hulk towards the end of the year mm-hmm. both of which feel like they're going to lean comedic and both of which feel that they're going to be a little bit more intimate. Like, you you kind of hope that She-Hulk... I mean, a big issue with Moon Knight is it feels like they were skimping on the budget to do a fucking kaiju fight. Like... (laughs) the fuck was that decision but like you have to imagine that she hulk is having to save his budget for the fact that the hulk is going to be on screen for a good chunk of this tv show so they can't save budget in other ways because they have to have cgi hulk on screen well we'll see how that goes but yeah that is the end of marvel's foray into television in 2021 it's the end of the just pure marvel productions because next week our final episode of this volume of the podcast will be spider-man no way home which is of course a so joint production and is a movie so we're done with tv mixed results too too good too bad and then what if can fuck off oh i guess i guess i guess two and a half good three good almost one, one i'm bad. definitely i was definitely more interested like of the shows three of them i was like yeah i'm, I'm interested to see where it goes and now immediately i'm like after me like oh god if this is this is how we're going i don't know so. i mean i i don't know if, i think they were originally trying to get it out a bit earlier maybe they just hadn't learned from their mistakes yet but then like those moon knight people are coming in to fucking muddy up Loki season two, isn't uh, Reese Thomas going to be on it as well? I'm not or... sure about Reese Thomas or Loki season two. I know it's okay. I know it's some of the Moonlight guys. I mean, I yeah. also saw Michael Waldron was talking about like what Loki season two is going to look like. And I'm like, oh, are you are you actually involved? I thought you were maybe he'll just be producing. I don't know. So next week, this this is going to be a weird one because it was probably the most talked about superhero thing from last year. Every I... single conversation about every other Marvel project was also centered on like, right, but what Spider Man going to be like? Uh-huh. I had to make a coin flip last night. Like, I know we're not going to record our Spider-Man episode for a, for a few days now, at the very least. And I was kind of like, do I rewatch Doctor Strange or do I rewatch Spider-Man? Which one do I think is going to be more important to to the plot of in Multiverse of Madness? And I was like, I'm going to go Spider-Man. Uh, Spider-Man feels yeah like yeah. it's going to be more relevant. Yeah. Um, I'm very interested to talk about that with you next week because I know how I felt when I first saw it and I know how I felt when I rewatched it about a month ago and I will be fascinated to see where you land on it. It is definitely a movie that feels like it was made in the middle of a pandemic. Well, that is next week. There's some intrigue for you. Unbelievably, we're almost done. But yeah, thank you. I oh. can start ramping up to get you to give me your 80s movies list for the yes. movies. Volume 4. Oh my Our finale volume. Yeah, probably. <laughs> 100 episodes feels like enough. But yeah, thank you everyone. Uh, we'll see you next week for Spider-Man No Way Home. And uh, thank you, Ben. Excelsior. Excelsior. Excelsior.